I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 59. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I am your ever-loving host, Dr. Abby Metcalf. Yeah, you're all excited to hear my voice, aren't you? Um, (laughs) I have to screw around with you. Otherwise, what am I really doing here all alone in my office as I record this? Come on, I have to have some fun. So today's awesome. Get ready. It's all things money for your relationship. Uh, Today, I'm going to be interviewing and I'm going to cut to it in just a minute, but I have to give you a heads up. Uh, to Lisa Linfield. I was on this woman's podcast uh, a little while ago and I just loved her and said, you have to be on my podcast and you have to talk about money for every stage of your relationship because there's stuff she talks about that I really never thought of before, even though so much of it is simple. And uh, so she's going to be going through like the four phases, you know, uh, of your life in relationships and what you have to think about and know about in each stage. So really incredible. And let me just give you a short bio. She is the CEO of Working Women's Wealth and Southern Pride Wealth. She is, Lisa is a personal finance expert, keynote speaker, and host of her own podcast that I was on that I just mentioned, Working Women's Wealth. She's a board certified financial planner. She is the CEO of uh, Wealth and Investment Managing, uh, with this company she has. She has two honors degrees, one in financial planning. She studied at Oxford, INSEAD, and London Business School. She has over 20 years of financial services experience in both the UK and South Africa. She's going to be talking to us from South Africa today, and you'll hear her awesome accent. She's been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, Contemporary Business, Investing for Life, and tons of other podcasts. And her, you know, really what she's always been about 
is teaching women about money and how to invest it and all that good stuff and how to protect it and all that. Um, but today she's going to be covering women and men for us <laughs> uh, because we love have a lot of both of you out there. Uh, but there you have it. So without further ado and me gabbing on and on, let's go to the interview with Lisa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm so excited today because I have the amazing Lisa Linfield here. And we are going to talk about all things money in your relationships. So we're going to talk about money for every stage of your relationship. And I want to tell you, I was on Lisa's podcast. She has, a, I'm going to have her introduce herself in a moment. Um, but she has a podcast about wealth and women and I was on there and we vibe so well. And I was in love with her all the way from South Africa. She's coming to us today. And I thought I have to have you on the podcast. And we had a long conversation about what she could offer today. This is going to be the bomb diggity. You want to take notes. I will obviously have show notes ready for you, but you want to have it just ready to go because she's going to cover everything. So welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me, Abby. It's so much fun. I just think about this interview and I, and I giggle because I had so much fun on our interview as well. So it's going to be a wonderful time together. We're going to kill it today. So uh, let's start. I really want to start with having uh, everybody, you know, I did your little intro, but, but talk more about how you came to this, how you came to this work, you know, your background. So I have a very untraditional background. I have made a number of pretty massive career changes through my life. And effectively, I'm a student. I love learning. I love growing. I love building and adding value. And the most important thing to me is making a difference. And I think I stumbled across financial advice and wealth management um, fortuitously because part of my last season of growing has been falling in love with helping people to manage their money better. And our money essentially embodies everything who we are, you know, and it gives us our dreams. It gives us our life. It's an enabler. It's not an end in itself. And I love being able to enable people's dreams. But Part of this journey is that as a wealth manager, I have two different businesses. I have a, a wealth management business. In my wealth management business, I never got to see many of the people who I really wanted to help. The people who hadn't yet created wealth, the people that hadn't had as wonderful guides and mentors in their financial life as I had had. And so um, I was very fortuitous to have to take a, a bit of a break. And I built Working Women's Wealth in that break. And, and essentially what it was, was I set myself an enormous goal of teaching a million women about money. And I knew that I couldn't do that one-on-one -on -one in my wealth management business. Mm. So I set up a podcast and, um, and then I started building training courses and doing speaking and teaching people. And it is truly probably one of the most fulfilling parts of the work that I do is the ability to, um, I have a dual format show. I teach every second week for 20 minutes in solos. And then I interview the most incredible women who share their in expertise to help us all create better lives and, and to manage our money better. So that's a little bit of my journey of trying to teach a million women about money. I love it. It's so great. And I do have a lot of men listening to the podcast. So this is for you guys too. Uh, what I love is when Lisa and I started talking, it was so evident that 
we don't talk about money enough in relationships. And I will tell you that when I have couples in my office, I always ask about money and they will often say to me, wow, you're the first therapist who ever asked us about our finances or about money and how we do it, how we, how we do our banking, you know, how we plan. And it's such a huge piece of relationships. I've gone through people, you know, hiding money. That's kind of classic. Or, you know, if I make more money than you, then, uh, then I have more power in the relationship. I mean, it goes on and on and on how much money plays a role. So for today, though, we're going to really focus on uh, what Lisa and I spoke about was these sort of four phases of money. So even no matter where you are in your phases, I want you to listen to each phase because you'll see maybe some mistakes you made previously, or if you're in an earlier phase, you want to listen to the later phases and think about you know how you want to plan. But I do want you to think about the earlier phases, even if you're in a later phase, because that those uh, underlying beliefs and thought systems that you might not even realize you have are, are impacting you now. So, and we're going to talk about uh, being single. We're going to talk about the classic double income, no kids. And then we're going to talk about sort of our life with children if you choose that. And even if you are choosing to stay together and not have children, you know, I want you to listen. And then we're going to talk about uh, retirement. So let's jump into being single. Let's start there. And uh, again, Lisa's going to give you some real like down and dirty tips <laughs> for everything as we go, but also just a general philosophy for things. So, um, what? So, what do you think are the biggest things that single folks should be thinking about, Lisa? Who are you know in a relationship together, but they're single, they're not married yet, nothing like that. So, I think one of the challenges in for all of us is that there seems to be this rule of expansion that if you cast your mind back to being a student, you earned or had very little money, but you actually led a great life and you may do, and you still managed to go on holiday. You still managed to, you know, um, go out partying, do everything that you needed on that tiny little student budget, even whilst you had student loans and all of that. But what happens as we go through life is that we start increasing our spending as our income spends, as yep. our income grows, apologies. Yep. And you know, the challenge with that is that once you've expanded into that space, it's very difficult to cut back. And that is one of the biggest problems is that we start in our, in our 20s and we get our first jobs and our, our salaries expand rapidly in that phase. You know, you get your first job out of school and you get paid absolutely nothing. It's close to slave labor. <laughs> but then, you know, you get promoted to your first little management position and suddenly that starts exponential increases in your money. And the best tip that I can give you through that phase and it's actually not restricted. It's what I do every single, with every single one of my clients, um, is that every time you get a salary increase, if you get a 3% or a 6%, whatever your salary increase is, you automate from that very day that salary increase comes in, that half of that salary increase goes to your savings or your investments, and half of that salary increase stays for you to spend. So you still feel a little bit of that, um, you know, amazing promotion income because you might've gone from a thousand dollars to $1,250, but mm -hmm. that other 250 has been automated because what you need to remember is that money that hits your bank account will get spent. If yes. it doesn't hit your bank account, you're not going to budget on it in your head to spend it. And what that sets up is this, I, as a, whenever I speak to people, I say to me, okay, can you quickly give me 20% for us to save? And everybody will go, no. So I say, well, 
can you, if I ask you this in, in five years time, do you think you'll be able to? And they will say no. So I said, but if you do this, if you get, give me 3% every single year, over a five year period, you'll soon get to 20%. Oh, and they like, yeah. look at me and they go, wow. <laughs> and I keep saying that to people is you don't have to, if you're very far behind or if you're starting out, you don't have to suddenly go from naught to saving 20%. Just right. every single year, put 3% or half your salary increase, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and just automate it so it never gets there. Because what I find is that you end up with 30, 35-year-old singles who have fantastic lives, but they have not saved and they're already behind. I had a 28-year-old couple the other day, both lawyers. They spent a lot of time in grad school and they are so far behind on their savings because any of the traditional assumptions of savings assume that you start work at 23, between 21 and 23, and that you have already begun saving from then. If you're mastering and PhDing and you're only starting work at 28, you're so far behind on that back foot wow. that you've got to use these kind of techniques where you're still feeling, hey, I've got some money, but I'm not yet ready. Um, I'm, not, I'm still able to enjoy those increases. The I'm other day, my husband and I looked at our own finances and um, we're pretty financially free and 64% of our finances came from before the age of 30. Wow. And that is quite amazing um, for the scale of the number. That's quite amazing. And the one key thing that I did, which I advise all young couples to do, is what we do is we buy our first little flat a one-bedroom flat. We are putting our money away towards this one-bedroom flat. Then we meet and we get married. And what we do is that we sell that flat and we buy a bigger house. And the key secret is to never sell that flat, is to start again from scratch. Because ah. what you then turn is you turn your 20s from a non-income generating asset being your the house you live in it doesn't generate any income for you because you live in it it's an expense but you suddenly turn it from being that for the last five six seven years to suddenly being an income generating asset and that is the key to walking away from your 20s with an investment that is actually keeping pace with what you should have been investing in yeah. And I will say that for people who, because uh, I'm you know, currently living in the Bay Area of California where the housing is incredibly expensive and most people in their 20s cannot afford to buy anything. Um, however, that doesn't mean that you have to live in a super expensive place and that you could be investing in other ways. Real estate's not the only way to invest because I you know, hear people get very caught up in that treadmill. Uh, renting is a waste of money, this kind of thing. And it's not necessarily a waste. It's all about what our goals are financially and what we're looking to do. And so Absolutely. in some ways, right, you can make more money putting money in investments than you can in real estate, depending on where you live and how high the cost Absolutely. is. And, and one of the things, so we have that same, exactly the same thing in Johannesburg, where to live where you want to live is too expensive. So what I do with a lot of the young people is that they buy that if property is their thing, because there's also different brains think differently. So yes. for concrete thinkers, they like property because they want to see it, touch it and feel it. Mm -hmm. For conceptual thinkers, they like shares because they don't want to deal with the geezer, the, <laughs> um, the tenants or anything else. Uh -huh. But if, if property is your thing and it's too expensive to buy where you are, what often, what I work with the young people is that they will often, if they really want to buy something, they will buy something further out where they can afford to buy, but they will personally rent in the city. 
yes. near their jobs, where they want to be, because that for them is the way they want to invest. To your point, you know, I don't think there for many of us, the the problem with keeping on buying and selling and buying and selling and upsizing our lives is that you, you lose so much money in those transaction costs yeah. in taxes and registrations and things like that. Yep. So if you are disciplined, then you can, you also can put that exact same money, the gap between your rental and what you would pay on a flat or a house or whatever it is, you can put that into investments. The key to managing money effectively in a relationship or by yourself is being brutally honest with yourself as to how do you stop yourself from spending. So I have clients who are exceptionally disciplined, who will be disciplined in saying, okay, actually it's $600 to rent and it's $1,000 to buy. I'll rent for 600 and I'll be exceptionally disciplined in saving that extra $400. There are others who will go, woohoo, I'm going to spend that 400 <laughs> Then maybe you must buy so that it just swallows up that money and, and what I call takes it off the table. Because the minute right. we have money, we're going to spend it. So make sure it's, it comes down to knowing yourself and knowing what is right for you and, and but managing that, that desire to just spend what's in that bank account. I love it. And it is, I like what you said about really being honest with ourselves and not, uh, you know, kind of fantasizing about the person we'd like to be, but understanding the person, the people we are and oh, taking that into account. You know, I still don't have, uh, don't really use credit cards. They, they scare me. Um, cause I got into a lot of credit card debt in my twenties and, um, and I, I have a brother, for example, who loves like putting his, he puts his mortgage on the credit card, you know, he pays it off every month. Right. And then he gets all these miles yeah. and it's all great. And even though money's much different for me now than my twenties, I still get a little weary of using credit cards and start and doing Cause he's always pushing me. He's like, Oh my gosh, you get all these free miles. Why aren't you doing this? It's so crazy not to, you know, you have the money, you pay it off every month. And I'm, yeah. I'm worried I won't. And so I just don't, you know, for me, it's not worth those miles. It's not worth that, whatever. It's not worth it to get into a habit of credit cards for me. Absolutely. For and I also, people, it's fine. I, I also see people do it with their mortgages. So where they, they dump their salary into their mortgage in the view that it's going to save a half a percent year or a percent, then it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And then what I actually find when I audit it is that they're actually digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the capital they've saved because because they've spent too much. Oh. And it's exactly to your point, Abby, is that if you, if you are exceptionally disciplined, Excel spreadsheets will tell you things like buy on the credit card to get the points because you'll save the money or put your whole salary into your, your mortgage if it's a flexible mortgage and then work out of it because it'll save you this percentage of interest. But at the end of the day, if you're A, going to get yourself in debt on the credit card or B, going to dig deeply into your savings to fund your expenses, right. then it comes down to behavior. Then you're not ending up saving anything because that is the gap between what textbooks and theorists tell us should happen with money and understanding and managing yourself, your partner, your relationship in the honesty that says, Hey, listen, that's just not the way that's just not a day. That's a dangerous place for us to be. It's rather put it in something we can't touch because if we can touch it, we'll spend it. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's about working with yourself and what's possible. You are right. And your brother is right because right. you're both doing what works for you. 
Yes. <laughs> well, I like to think I'm the only right one, but yes. Um, no, it's so true. And it really is that. So I want people listening right now to really take that into account that you have to be, again, honest though with yourself. Like I had to be honest with myself about you know, getting the, because the miles sound so sexy and, oh, and it seems like I'm being quote unquote stupid, not doing it and all that stuff. And you know, our egos get, my ego gets involved and, you know, what I think I should be able to do, all of that stuff has to take a back seat and instead be real about who you are and what you do and that, and then end it there. Absolutely. So I love that. Um, so that's great for our single years, again, in a couple or not in a couple, either way, or getting into a relationship. So now let's talk about when we get into serious relationships and we become what we call dink, the double income, no kids. Like when we're really in it, and again, you could be married or not married during this stage, but you're living together, you're doing all that. What are the other things that we should be thinking of? You know, what, what are the yeah. other myths and things like that? There are some fantastic things around this phase to be mindful of. The first one is the, the thing that absolutely, it makes my blood boil and I'm, I'm terrible about this one, is when one partner funds the mortgage and the other partner funds the living expenses. Mm. And the reason why I don't like this one is because what happens is that should you break up, the one person walks away with the house and you walk away with nothing. Oh. And this is one of the realities of it does seem easier because he or she already has the house. And so, you know, you're kind of paying, they're putting $1,000 for the mortgage and you're putting $1,000 for the living expense. That sounds fair. The only problem is that when you've been together three or four years and you split up, you have ended up walking away with nothing and they end up walking away with an asset. Wow. And it's such a difficult thing. And I see it so many times and it is absolutely heartbreaking that in actual fact, you should think about it right when you're in love and you're still never thinking about moving is what is the fair thing around this approach? Because we all know that when things break up, it's not easy. You know, it's really yeah. not easy to get out of this. And I, I was counseling a young couple whose parents, I'm their financial advisor, and they aren't married and they are buying this property together. And it was such an interesting process because it's very difficult for parents to counsel young couples because they can say the exact same thing that I can say. And it's okay for me to say it, but it's not okay for parents to say it, you know, as the external financial party. But one of the interesting points, so I said to them, you need to create a contract around this house. And they said, but we love each other and we're never going to split up. So we don't need to create a contract. So I said, but you know, the challenge is if you think about getting married and you sign an anti-nuptial contract in South Africa, we all sign anti-nuptial contracts. You can get married in community of property, but effectively in our law, an anti-nuptial contract keeps you a separate legal entities in case one of you goes bankrupt. So we sign a contract when we're at the most in love we will ever be. And we're committing to each other for the rest of our lives. Wow. You guys aren't even committing each other to the rest of life. So you at least need a contract to govern the splitting of this particular asset, you know? And it was only once they realized that it wasn't a symbol of an intention to split. 
It's right. literally a contract governs an asset. It doesn't matter whether the asset is a business and you need to have a, the memorandum of incorporation of your business. It doesn't matter whether the asset is your marriage. It doesn't matter what the asset is. Whenever we buy an asset, we effectively sign a contract for it. So as a couple, you need to get a contract together with buying the house, which deals with what happens if it splits. The other thing which was more pertinent um, in light of the fact that, you know, everyone believes they're never going to break up was you need a will. And they looked at me and they said, why do we need a will? And I said, because right now, if you die, your partner's share, you're now suddenly going to own a house with her parents. Because if you don't have a will, it'll go to her parents. Right. And he like looked at me and I was like, okay, so you and your, her parents are going to be sharing a house together. And <laughs> effectively, they might say, well, we can't afford this house. And they will sell the house that you have. And um, in, in legal terms, you can't have a contract with a dead person. So the, the actual bank can always call in a loan on a dead person. So suddenly you can lose your house because the in-laws don't want to open or your, your partner's parents don't want to share the house. So when it comes to combining assets as double, double income, it's just mindful to be prudent about how, what happens if this thing doesn't work in the event of death and in the event of you not, not happening together. But the other very important thing that I always encourage double income couples, especially once you've moved in together or you choose to get married or whatever, is work on living on one salary. Because what happens is you combine these two salaries, but you don't combine your expenses. You don't double the expenses because you are now staying in one house, not two. You know, you're sharing the lights, the, the electricity and the water and all of that, not two. So what happens is effectively you get more cash to spend. And what do we do? We spend more cash. We <laughs> buy bigger houses. We do more things like that. And I, I, I work with um, a woman who when they... Uh, got married, they always lived off her husband's salary. Why? Because they said, one, you can save that whole extra salary towards your retirement. And secondly, it gives you that flexibility that should you choose to take time off to look after the kids, one of you, either one of you, you effectively only are living on one salary. So you're not having to give up something. And what it does is it forces you not to keep upsizing your life every time more co money comes. And I guess that's the core message of both the single and all of us is the minute we get more money, we spend more. And the secret to being able to invest at a young age, to be able to have 64% of your assets from before the age of 30, is that you have to the earlier you can save this money, the more it gets to grow whilst you're sleeping. And that's yeah. what we all want. Wow, that's great. It's the, we had talked about this in our conversation before, and I was one of the biggest takeaways I had was this idea that, oh my gosh, yeah, living on one salary when you first come together. And I think because, you know, when I think of my past, I lived with many men <clears throat> before I got married uh, and, you know, at different times in my life and no, often even with the intention of not getting, I don't think I wanted to get married then. So there, I never had this idea of thinking about the future. And I think a lot of people do that these days where they sort of, you know, move in or getting these relationships where they're not necessarily thinking about a future. And so, of course, now today in my life, I'm thinking, wow, I was really um, <laughs> very casual. And I think moving in together and doing that, it, it brings it to another conversation of really, if you're moving in and you're making all these decisions and changes, even if you're not planning to get married soon, 
or, you know, even if you're never planning to get married, but you're planning to be with a person, there's a way of thinking about it in this more serious way. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean a lot of things I think we think it means that, uh, oh, now I'm getting too serious too soon or I'm whatever, you know, when can I have these conversations? It's about being honest with your partner and really, right, really making a commitment to with money too. So putting skin in the game in another level. So it's not so easy just to walk away. So it's not so easy just, you know, to, to let it go that you're really being, you know, more serious about it. I think it's, I think it's great. I think the thing that we've all got to acknowledge is that money knows how to make money the best way, more, better than all of us. And the reality yeah. is if you invest it and leave it over time, it makes significantly more money. So there's that good example that says, you know, if Jane invests $1,000 a month from the age of 35, 25 to 35, and Peter it does it from 35 to 65, so he does it for 30 years. So he actually physically takes more money and invests it. Jane will always have more money than Peter. Why? Yeah. Because at the age of 35, she goes in. She, he starts from naught and she's already got her right. money. In. And so, it's, as you said, it's not about these serious things. It's about saying, how do we both make sure yeah. that whether we're together or whether we walk away, we haven't jeopardized our future self yes. in terms of our savings for our future. You know? Yep. So, if... He's paying half the mortgage and half the, the food and you're paying half the mortgage and half the food or whatever your story is. You both walk out or yeah. you get married with more money. Then right. you started the relationship. You're not ending up where one of you is fine and the other one. It's not the whole thing about life is that you all walk away with the best that you possibly can do. You know, not that one win wins and one loses, whether it is that you stay together, whether it is that you split up. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I want to go into now before we get to the third thing is, um, so often when I'm working with couples, they'll have very disparate incomes. Um, and I generally have them put money into household things at a, on a percentage basis. Um, what's your thoughts on that? And what, what do you do when the incomes are, are so different um, coming into something like this? So I do believe in the, I do work with the percentage basis as well. Um, where I differ is, where I differ is. Uh, wait, and speak more about the percentage basis. I just realized people might not understand what we're saying. Oh, okay. So, I mean, <laughs> if I earn um, $70 for every $100 that with the two of us earn, I earn 70 and you earn 30 effectively what we're going to do is that I'm going to pay for 70% of the bills and you pay for 30% of the bills. Right. Okay. So I make sure everyone's clear so, on what we're talking about. Go. Absolutely. So where that works again is where there is a clear view on what the art on that there is a safety net on the outskirts because some people they put that money into a joint account and then the expenses go from that joint account so you know the hundred dollars of expenses go from that joint account for all the expenses that we need and that works well for them for other people what happens is that I'll roughly work out that um, the taxes and the 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 electricity the the uh, company the blah, sorry the 
the property taxes and the electricity and the water and all of that kind of stuff is for 30 and everything else you take care of for 70. So some people split literally, they have a communal jar and all the expenses go from it. And some people say, hey, we don't need a communal jar, but I will take care of the 30 and you will take care of the 70. Mm-hmm. Now, the only place that that comes unstuck is, as I said, if, if one of you walks away with an asset and the other one right. walks away with having fed the two of you. So that's why I say when it comes down to managing money, it comes down to dealing with the two human beings that are in that relationship. Mm. My husband and I, uh, um, we came into our relationship equally earning. We kind of, we don't have a shared joint account. We paid for the things differently. We roughly pay for half the expenses. And, but what was so interesting was when I left corporate to start this business, for the first time ever, I was earning naught and he was funding us. Wow. And it was such an interesting shift to see, would it change the dynamics of our relationship? Now, the way our relationship works is that we've always talked about money. Neither of us try and control the other with money. We've, I guess it's been made easier because we equally earn. So there's none of, there's not kind of, well, you know, there's none of the other issues that comes with it, but I don't think we would have it because money reflects the state of your relationship. If, in our circumstances, if it comes unstuck, effectively, I think that we'd be able to deal with the money side a lot easier than, for example, the emotional or the kids or all of that kind of stuff, because we have a similar and we've always discussed money extremely openly. Someone asked me, when did you have your first conversation with money with John? And I said, I, I, I don't know. We came into our marriage with the exact same amount of money. We, you know, I mean, when we first got married, he put all of his money into a flat in my name. So effective, you know, I mean, it was that mm-hmm. kind of thing where there was just this level of trust with money that it happened. For other people, there is not a level of trust with money. And because fundamentally, there's not that level of trust with each other, or right. because there are conversations that haven't happened or needed to happen, or alternatively, money conversations that someone had with you as a child that, that um, make money more than it actually is. It's an exchange of goods. I mean, that's, that's all it is. But if money has different things, if you can't have that conversation, then it is often better to have a joint account that the money then goes out of because um, it's transparent to both parties. You know, the only thing I always say, Abby, is that everyone needs an Ollie fund. And an Ollie fund is, you know, in polite, com- in, in non-polite company, we call it something else, but in polite company, we call it an Ollie fund. One life, live it. And that's basically to say that the one thing that every one of us needs is a little bit of cash that nobody's going to ask us anything about. Yeah. So if it's whatever, a hundred dollars a month and your $50, whatever your number is, each of you must get that money. And I've seen couples do with it such different things. In one of my couples, he saves it every month because he's, he just needs to save money. That's fine. And I keep saying mm-hmm. to him, that is your choice. You're no more of a hero because she chooses to spend it on lunch with the girls. You can each choose to do whatever that is that you want with this money. If you want to buy a new iPad every single year, you can buy a new iPad without her saying, no, it's a new iPad, you know, another new iPad. Right. If she wants to go and have her nails done, she wants to go have her, her friends. I mean, for me, my Ollie fund goes to lunch with my friends. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I love. My best thing is just going out for lunch with the girls and having fun and doing stuff like that. Every couple needs a certain little bit amount of money that nobody is, is looking over their heads with. And that's the problem with 
combining all of your expenses. So the one thing, even if you have a joint account where you do the 70-30 thing from, the one thing is that your salaries must always go into their own account. And the reason for that is, again, it comes down to what happens in the case of death. And I see a lot of really well-off human beings, maybe not so well-off, but what happens is their, husband, their partner unexpectedly dies and that account gets frozen. And oh, they yeah. can, salary is going into an account that's frozen and they cannot get money out. So wow. I always just say, even if it is the cheapest form of account you possibly can, your salary must go into a separate account and then, then you put an automation in place that if you need to put $1,000 into your joint account, you just automatically, on the day your salary goes in, that you automate that $1,000 into the account. And that's a must. Nobody have, should have to beg the other person to put their money into the account. Just set up that automation right. and off it goes, you know. But love always that. make sure your salary comes into your own account. That's great. That's another great tip. I love that. And I do want to say that a lot of the things we're talking about are from beliefs people have. And so I'll link in the show notes. I did another podcast a long time ago about the, I think it's called the seven beliefs about money that are killing your relationship. Um, Absolutely. So I don't want to use our time with Lisa about that, but I no. do want to be clear that that's really what comes up. People think, oh, I'm a spender. She's a saver or, you know, well, you had you know, debt before you came in the marriage, you know, you had a student loan or credit card. So you need to take care of that. There's some crazy ideas people have and your list. Some people are listening now going, that's not crazy. Well, it is. If you listen to my other podcast, so I'll link to that in the show notes. We won't go here now, but, um, so great. I want to, so I'm going to move us along to now we're in that stage of our relationship where you choose to have kids or, um, even if you haven't, and I'm going to talk about kids. I know some of you out there are in this stage where you don't choose to have kids, but I know the majority of you listening do. So we're, we are going to talk about that and then retirement. Um, so talk about this stage now. So now we're kind of living in it with children in the house. Oh my goodness gracious me. So if you are Lisa Linfield, you tell, you have a view of life that you're going to walk along this career path, earning your money, and somehow two kids are just going to pop out and life's never going to change. You're, not go you're never going to work um, part-time. You're never going to do any of that because you're this great corporate career woman. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And then, as I always say, I was an expert parent before I came one. <laughs> and then I became a parent. And all of those things that my husband and I had really kind of agreed on, it's okay, love, you can have your career, you can do all of that. We won't need to worry about, you know, stopping and having kids. You know, it all disappears. And that's one of the real challenges when it comes to money and relationships is because 
you can't anticipate the future and what you're going to feel like. And for me personally, I can say that I never thought I would work half day. I never thought I would flexi time. I never thought I would do anything besides earn a full total salary. And when I had kids, the complete opposite changed. I then did go half day and half my salary all in one time. You know, I was very fortunate to be able to work flexi time with both of my, with both my first child and my twins. And so obviously that then has an impact on the money within the relationship. And I think the most important thing is the ability to continuously communicate. Um, My husband and I call it touching toes. It's that kind of reconnection that actually like is, so, so what are we thinking about this now? And in fact, there are often stages of life where I'll say to him, I think we just need to recollect on this because you go into marriage assuming that you're going to have a, a full salary of a wife and, and that was the agreement you made. And then all of a sudden she wants to go half day and you kind of go, what happened? You know, and the other thing that happens is she then goes half day or stops working and the kids grow up and then we kind of think that this was an agreement that was made that we can never unchange. And it's what I keep saying to people is don't hold on so tightly that what you said has to, you know, can never change through a marriage, through a relationship. You know, it will always change because our needs will change. Our desires will change. You might think that you're absolutely happy to work a 20 hour day as a banker and um, and that's fine. It works to a certain degree in terms of being able to, you know, look after your wife not working. But you might come to a stage in your life where you think, no, this doesn't hold the meaning. This doesn't hold the value. And I hate my job and I'm a miserable human being. You know, and I keep saying to people, you've got to reconnect with money very often when it and jobs and work and fulfillment and life and things like that because we will grow into the banker salary as i say the more that money that comes in the more we grow into that salary we will grow into it but we need to keep talking to each other as to actually when it comes to our lives and dreams do we need to for you to give up that banker's job because and me to go back to work because in actual fact, we'll be happier as a family. So the biggest thing when it comes to kids is that fluidity, because especially you also think that you've got it sorted once they're under five years old and then they start going to school or they go, start going to college. And so the financial impact of kids continuously changes as the different needs come. You know, you might have a special mm-hmm. needs child that now suddenly has a lot more expenses, etc. And I think part of being able to deal with all of this is being able to communicate on you know, what, what the money tells us. I mean, a great example I always give of myself is I thought I'd be able to do the whole twins thing, me, myself, and I. And I went to my husband on the very first weekend, on the Monday after our first weekend with twins. And I looked at him and I said, love, I think, it, I think we've got two options here. We've got divorce or we've got a night nurse. I think it's cheaper if we invest in a night nurse for the first three months. <laughs> that's what we did, you know? I mean, and that's, it's just a silly example, but the reality about it is the health of your marriage, the health of your relationship requires you to continuously talk through this because children change and the expenses change around it. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And then even that, you might not have planned for a night nurse and you might've had all your money laid out and everything great. And then, you know, that your partner might say, I need this, I need this thing. And I get this because sometimes, you know, I work with couples, uh, 
often where um, it's sort of a classic where the man is working and the wife is home with the kids and the husband sometimes will get into or the, the partner will get into, uh, you know, I, I'm working all day. You're home with kids. I, why should I pay for all this extra help? Like that's what you're doing. And I always come back to, you know, being happy. To me, money is also there for us. If we're not happy at the end of the day, if we can't find, you know, whatever the joy that is that we need to feel okay in our worlds, then I don't know what the money's for. And so at some stage, and I don't mean go out and buy very expensive shoes you can't afford, but when it comes to, again, like for three months, you know, do things for a shorter period of time. Don't always think it's forever. Like, okay, for three months, we're going to have a cleaning person every week instead of every other week. Or, you know, I'm going to have a night nurse or I'm going to, you know, do you, or for one month, you know, really think of things in, like a bite-sized chunk as opposed to a forever because then we usually can figure out how to make the money work, obviously. Um, and I think and that- I think, I think we're all too fixated on that this one decision has to, that you can never forever. reverse a decision. Yep. You know, the, the state of your relationship is far more important than- yep three months of a night nurse, a cleaning lady or whatever it is. You know, I had a, I had a, I, I had an au pair for a year and a half, you know, why? Because in that particular time I needed that support in order to keep going with the particular project I was on. It wasn't even related to, there was just a specific um, demanding project that required me to get an au pair. And that's absolutely fine. You know, because I always say it's cheaper than a divorce. So right. I'm happier. The kids are happier. My husband's happier. Life yeah. is happier. Does it make this enormous difference to my retirement? No, it doesn't. You know, and I'm the right. first one to watch your expenses, but I totally agree. Money is only an enabler for the yeah. life we want to live. I love that. Love that. Um, and I will say that, you know, checking in, I love the touching toes, by the way, I'm going to be stealing that. It's so great. Um, that the checking in, I'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, I have a financial meeting. Um, a financial meeting every month is key just to sit down and I have an outline and you can get that for free and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, uh, but I really want people to get in that habit of meeting every month and, and touch and toes and just sort of talking about what's happening in a, a little bit of a more formal way. I want the meeting itself to feel relaxed and wonderful and loving, but I just so that there's really a, a place where you come together. Uh, there's definitely times where I've had men, for example, again, sounds sort of sexist, but it's what often happens, sort of shouldering the load of money and the the wife, you know, never really asking about it. Like just the money keeps appearing, you know, and the money keeps being there where, and, and he's not saying anything. And I love you men out there, but you tend not to talk sometimes. And so he's not saying anything. She thinks everything's fine, but it's not. And everyone's a bit overwhelmed and at the edge of their rope. And there's a place where you really have to sit and really talk. And I'm, I'm assuming you agree with this? Absolutely. You know, I am... Um... I, I actually mediate and support a lot of kids and parents because as parents start to age and they run out of money, it becomes the responsibility of the kids. Mm. And one of the themes that I see enormously, particularly in this baby boomer era that's starting to retire, but you know, it's, it's anywhere where there happens to have been an expectation. There's almost an informal agreement that somewhere develops that you work and take care of retirement. And I, my work is to take care of the family. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, we'll have enough money to retire and we'll have a happy family. And it's that wonderful end. And the problem comes is that 
either, so you either get the two extremes of that in actual fact, he gets enslaved to a job that produces the money, but he's a very unhappy human being. Or alternatively, he's doing something, he's not a financial expert. You think he's got the money sorted. He thinks he's got the money sorted. And then we get within a couple of years of retirement. And because we get into a couple of years of retirement, maybe our, our company puts on a financial advisor and you go and have a checkup and the financial advisor goes, brother, you've got, you're so far short of this amount of money. And literally, um, you know, this happens so often that oh. what ends up happening is that he goes, but I only had one job to do, which was to provide for retirement. So I'm not going to say anything and we're just going to go and, and, you know, maybe what, what will happen is that we'll both die before we run out of money. So it'll all end up fine. Thank you very much. And then he retires and he sees that actually we're still going strong at 70 and still going strong at 75. But what happens is that instead of having a real conversation that says, Hey, there isn't enough. Could you please manage your spending? Because now we don't have my income. It's now just the retirement money because it gets hidden when he's still earning. But when right. he's not earning, there's just a minus and no more pluses. Wow. And then she thinks that he's a grumpy old man that fights over whether, you know, Friday nights or take in night or order in nights or, or home cooking nights. And she thinks he's being grumpy and he's trying to signal to her that there's not enough and you need to slow down the spending. And this is one of those problems about not touching toes often enough is that, and, and sometimes you need a facilitator. I mean, I facilitate the biggest part of my jobs is facilitating discussions between husbands and wives, children and parents um, divorced parents and each other, but that's why, because money, money is this thing in this relationship that we have to have. And because it comes with so much other things, as you said, those, the, the things you need to know about money in terms of how you're brought up or how you think, because it comes up in so many of these different ways, it, it seems to, it seems the symptom is money. It's not yeah. the cause of these things. The real cause is you need a discussion that says, hey, love, we don't have enough money. I tried my hardest through my life, but we're going to need to, you know, cut our cloth. And, and, or, hey, love, I actually hate my job. I know it facilitates a great lifestyle, but I'm miserable. And that's why we're fighting all the time. Ugh. When you put it like that, and when it's a well-facilitated conversation, I often find that there is the people come to the other side of that with more relief, with more knowledge and understanding. She says, hey, I don't need a new pair of shoes every month. And in actual fact, we don't need fancy cars. We can have less fancy cars. And then, and it becomes a win-win situation. But you need to touch toes on today's reality, not what we agreed 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Oh, I love that. Um, and actually, this is a great segue to start talking about retirement. But before we get there, and it's part of it, I think, is you had said to me once, people with a vision more than eight years out have more money saved. Yes. Can you talk about that? So one of the things that as human beings is that today is far more important to us and far more real to us than the future. So if we're just thinking about today, then we're just going to spend that money today. It's a bit like saying, you know, um, actually this cheeseburger doesn't matter in my, this one cheeseburger doesn't matter in my diet, but it happens every single day. <laughs> so the, the reality about it is that what we see is when, when couples plan ahead together, they are more likely to stick to their financial commitments. And the reason why is because they have a joint shared goal. 
And in having a joint shared goal, you are both, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. What it feels like is an investment in your future. So if you have a joint shared goal that, um, you know, within five years time, we want one of you to stop working to start setting up the business that's going to be our, you know, that in five years after that will help fund us. So whatever that sacrifice is, whatever that thing that if you're only living today feels like a sacrifice, when you put it in the context of a dream, a vision of your life together, we want to go overseas once a year or next year. We want to do whatever. When it's a vision that you look forward to, you are both far more likely to commit to and stick to a plan. You are far less likely to say, hey, well, it doesn't matter if, we just, if I just buy this iPad now, the new version of the iPad now. It's like, no, that money can grow towards being a holiday in Paris, you know, or whatever it is, the, the thing that we love doing. And so what we find is that people, couples who plan together save way more for their long-term savings than couples who live right now because everything is weighed up to the joy of whatever it is that we're looking forward to, be it early retirement at 50 years old, financial freedom, or be it a holiday together that we want to take the kids, or be it something, but it's far easier to sacrifice for something in the future that is a joint and exciting goal than it is to sacrifice right now for, oh, you know, that retirement that might happen when we're 65. <laughs> so it's really true. I love it. And that is part of my monthly financial meeting outline. You'll see that, guys, when you get it. So this fits in perfectly with that because uh, I agree. It's, it's very different to stick to a budget when you feel like you're in it together versus well, there's really enough money. He's just being stingy or she's just being whatever, you know, and, and it's not real. Because uh, our emotions get very involved in this and we need to have them take a back seat. So, okay. So let's move on into retirement. So now we're getting, you know, kids are college or after, or we're getting to the college, you know, where are we there? Where's our gaps? Where are the things we need to think about? So one of the things that we need to think about is how much money do you actually need? And knowing that is hugely important because it helps you to make the trade-offs. So there is a, you know, great rule of thumb that basically, you know, if you're in America, if you're sticking to what's called the 4% rule, you just take your monthly expenses and you times it by 300. Um, but if you want to be safe, you times by 350. So let's just say, for example, you have a thousand, a thousand dollars of monthly expenses. You need to have $300,000 saved up for every $1,000 of monthly expenses. So the first thing that you need to do is to know what you need in order to retire. And I always divide that into needs, wants, and explore. And I always say it's our obligation to make sure that we have our healthcare the food on our table and the place we're going to live in and obviously the transport that we need to get around wherever it is, that is, should never be a burden on our children. So the first goal always is to make sure that your basic living expenses are taken care of. And that includes that you could pay for frail care for yourself, that you could pay for any of that stuff. Then what that helps to do is that this goal of retirement is not this massive thing that sounds so far in the future. <laughs> It's literally just, okay, that's the first thing we've got to take off. And then what happens is that as the kids start growing up and, and we start getting closer to retirement, what becomes the conversation is, okay, I can work another two or three years longer and we can, we've done needs, we've made sure we've got wants. If I work another two or three years longer, then we can go overseas once a year and enjoy our, 
our retirement. So part of this whole thing of your monthly meeting is around truly understanding. And what John and I do is that we obviously talk about our expenses monthly. Every six months, we reconnect in terms of our retirement and that position and where we and, you know, kind of are we on track? And then once a year, we do a complete overhaul, like a full financial review. And what we do in all of that is we reconnect back with what is our latest thinking on retirement. Now, we, we could be as far as close to retirement. It doesn't matter. But all of us as human beings change. And we have wonderful ideas because now we have Airbnb. So we've now, over the last um, three years, put in an Airbnb budget to live in based out of London or Europe for three months. And we've quantified how much that's going to be. And it's now possible. We don't have to stay in hotels. We don't have to do things. So that's why we reconnect because the world changes all the time. And now your child is studying or living in a, having a first job in London or Hong Kong or whatever, and you need to build that into your plan. So reconnecting with how much you need is the first most important thing. But secondly, we as financial advisors are now working to a 95-year-old death. So we no longer plan to 80, we no longer plan to 85. We're planning to 95 at the moment. And you've got to think that if you work from 25 to 65, you work for 40 years. But you've then got to fund 30 years from 65 to 95 of two of you living. And 30 years is a long time. So I don't believe that our generations are going to be able to, most people won't be able to afford that. And so one of the things that I always say to people is from, at least from the age of 50, you need to start looking for that thing that you can do that you don't feel is work. The thing that you're passionate about doing, whether it be coaching the league, whether it be whatever it is that you can earn a little extra money because money today is worth more than money later on. So if you have to retire at 60 because your company kicks you out, what are you doing from 60 to 70 that can earn you a little money, but keep you mm. active, keep you involved, keep you enjoy? I have clients who have more than enough money and I still make them do the exercise, especially by 55, they need to have a clear as to what they're going to do. Why? Because I see marriages break down. I see health break down. I see a lot, break, a lot of breakdown happen when people who have highly stressed, highly powerful and huge responsibility jobs suddenly go from that to nothing yep. on some fake day called retirement at the age of 60, <laughs> 63, 65. It's so random. But the, the impact on the human being, I can never underestimate. I, I could never describe to you much what happens to people's identity, people's sense of self, people's, yeah. it is such a massive change where on Friday, people hang on your every word and you sign off huge budgets. And on Monday, your wife wants you to get out the house because you're causing trouble and you're on her computer <laughs> and not, you know, all of that stuff. And it is a truly traumatic event if you don't go to something as opposed to retire from something you know and and whenever I said they always go oh no no I'm going to sit on the couch I'm going to um, do five mountain biking races I'm going to do five golf championships and I'm going on holiday and I go and then what no no it doesn't matter and I keep saying to them it's a bit like when you say to a mother those first six weeks are going to be hell. And the next six weeks after that are going to be really tough. And they always look at you and go, Oh no, it won't be. It's going to be beautiful. 
you keep saying, friend, it doesn't matter how much I tell you, you never truly are going to understand, but trust me. And it's the same thing about retirement. Mm. I hear so many times people say, I'm so exhausted. I'm just going to chill. And I keep saying that is so dangerous. You need to go to something. Um, I love that. And it's true. Of course, you're going to chill for a little bit. And overall, your life will be more chill, but there still needs to be a center. And you still need to find meaning outside of just yourself. And that could be getting more involved in your church, temple, or mosque. That could also be, do you know what I mean? Like a job where you get paid. That could be some sort of thing that was your side hustle, becomes your main thing. I have a wonderful executive I'm working with now who retired. He's very, very, in a very large company, you know, really big, big big, big job. And he's at the small business administration now helping um, people who, you know, are trying to start their businesses. There's a thing through the small business administration here um, where you can get hooked up with someone who used to be like a CEO, someone like him, and they can help you start your business. He loves this so much. I can't even tell you. (laughs) And his wife, I work with the couple and she's like, Abby, he's now a workaholic with that. And I said, well, because he loves it. Like he's getting so much joy out of it. There's no money for him. There's no, they don't need the money, you know, but there, he absolutely loves it. And it's giving him so much good reason to get out of bed and do things. And I, so what I'm working with them on, obviously, is having some balance where now there can be a little less stress, a little less work, you know, a little more travel, some more fun things. Uh, but having that is so big. I agree. And I've seen people, I know the stats are crazy on it, but men tend to die sometimes within or have strokes or heart attack, all kinds of horrible things things within a short period of retirement. So it's super important for everyone to be thinking of how we're contributing and being of service throughout our lives in whatever way that's going to be. We call it a glide path. What you don't want to do is fall off a cliff. You want a gentle glide path from, Mm. you know, from full-time whatever to very little retirement. You know, you don't want to fall off a cliff. You want to be involved. You want to be contributing. The thing I hear most is, at least I've got so much to give. I've still got so much left in me. And I'm like, then let's find a way for you to do it and and start taking those steps before your retirement to start seeing what you're interested in. Because a lot of people have lost touch with their own dreams and their own interests, et cetera. And some people need the money and some people don't, but we all need a glide path into retirement as opposed to a cliff. I love that. It's so great. Okay. So before we wrap up, are there any last thoughts about that retirement? No. So, I mean, the biggest thing in terms of retirement is it leads into our next discussion, Mm -hmm. which is on how do you manage for the risk of death? Okay. So let's hear that. So, you know, one of the challenges that we all have is that we think we're never going to die. And, and I, it, it sounds so silly to say because we know we're all going to die. But 25-year-olds can drop down dead, 40-year-olds can drop down dead, and 90-year-olds can drop down dead. And for all of us, we keep saying, well, I need to sort that will out tomorrow. <laughs> I will do it next week. Yeah. I will... And that Later. is one of the most dangerous things. And particularly, the, in actual fact, the most important group of people that this needs to be addressed to is people with young kids. And if you have children under the age of 18, you have got to have a will that governs it. Because in all countries, effectively what happens is that if you don't have a will, the country has to have a framework that it works from 
in case of death. And effectively what happens is that assets and children and things like that get decided by the state. And one doesn't want to do it. And obviously one, you know, people work with nice magistrates and things like that. And, and hopefully the best is, is taken care of, but you can't guarantee that. So whilst you're alive, make sure that you put a will in place. And the thing that I see that stops people from putting a will in place, the biggest single thing of that I find is that they can't agree as to who the children go to in the event that both of them um, die. Oh, and what I tend to do is, I know it sounds extremely callous, is you can update a will as many times as you want. So I've, I put the heads is the, the husband's choice, why, tails is the wife's choice, and we literally flip a, a coin, and I say we're going to put in a name, we're going to sign the will, and then what we're going to do is you guys can go out and debate it. If you have resolved it by the time you get home, I will rewrite, re-substitute that name in the will, we'll print it out and we will sign it again. You know, you really don't need, you really can, it's that easy. So the most important thing that I can say to you is that they might, and this is particularly for divorced couples where you can't agree if both of you pass, is you, it is far better to have um, an option then no option. And it is far better for you guys to decide on these things and have these tough conversations than it is for the state, for the government to decide on this. And particularly when it comes to managing the finances and the money, because what often happens is that when I take my clients into that moment, so I say, think of your kids. They've just found out that both their parents are dead because that's the only time you have to make these decisions. You know, if one of you died, goes to the other one, etc. Think of your kids. Do you want them then to be moving to a great aunt in Canada? And they go, no. And that, okay, so let's put in place something that's going to work for both of you. Let's have those discussions. And they are horrible discussions. They are nasty discussions because none of us want to really go there. But the reality is if you don't, if you need that, it's because both of you are dead and it has to be sorted out. So you need to get a will and you need to make sure that the money passes between partners, husbands, kids, etc., as effectively as it possibly can. Because there, is, there are very different levels of tax depending on how you structure your wills. But most importantly, the provision of your children and the seamless transition when they, to your wife when the father and husband has just passed is the most important thing you can ever possibly ensure. And to make sure that you have the correct insurances in place such that you know, if anything in your assets are frozen when they're in your name, because you are no longer alive. So you, you cannot, your wife cannot access those assets. Um, and so she needs short term money. And that's what you get from life insurances and other things like that. But for each of us, we have a different, unique situation. So in general, what I would say to you all is make sure you have a will, because you don't want the government or anybody else deciding what should happen to your state. And if you have children under the age that are minors, then whether it's 18 or 16 in your different country, you need to make sure that the provisions, especially for the money and the guardianship of those children are sorted and heads or tail it until the two of you can resolve it, but get it in writing and then argue about it. Um, <laughs> is what I would say. 
And I, you know, I would add to that, that um, it's a simple thing, but it's really important is that both people in a relationship, especially when there's, well, when there's children should have life insurance, because if, if, uh, let's say a woman is home and not working and God forbid she dies, you're going to need to have, uh, trust me, that's a full-time job taking care of those children. So you're going to need to spend a lot of money getting care and other things uh, at the time to, to pull that other side. And so really important to not think that, oh, just the one who's making physical money coming in the home is the one who needs to be insured. So I do want to say that with that. In a, in a similar vein, what I also find is that there's a will for the husband and nothing for the wife. Yes. And the problem with that is depending on where you're married and the laws that you're married in, if you're married in uh, what is traditionally referred to as community of property, where basically everything is split, the minute, if you have a house in the two of your names and the minute that she dies or he dies, if one of you dies, money, these things have to get liquidated to, to pay for the costs of death and all those other things. And suddenly you find out that in actual fact, what they do is a calculation that splits the whole estate. So if everything is in his name, half of his stuff actually has to go into her estate to be split and to be taxed and to be sorted and mm -hmm. all of this. So you need to be very, you need to have a conversation with someone who knows about this stuff to make sure that you are, because sometimes it's just one life insurance policy, one will, one, some, yeah. one conversation that can make all the difference to an already traumatic time. Yeah. And I always say, start with the thing of you've just received the news, your husband or your wife has died. Now, what happens? And right. that then focuses everyone's mind of, okay, well, how do I actually get money out of the, the account? Because yeah. it's all in his name. How right. do I pay for the funeral? How do I pay for, um, you know, the petrol in the car? You know, I have a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy client who had, had they have an enormous amount of money. Her husband passed away. They were, they are un able to pay for petrol and school fees until the estate got wound up, which was two years. Oh, it's and crazy. That's, quick. that's quick, you know, and for right. complicated estates. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you can say, but there's all this money. So yes, once the executor gets involved, they can access the money. You can find provisions. But that first 30 to 60 days can often be hair-raising if everything is in one partner's name and there's nothing in the other, you know. Right. Or if the partner doesn't know like how to access it, even if Absolutely. it is there. Uh, so most of my clients, I have a Dropbox, OneDrive, whatever folder, mm -hmm. which is a link to the, in case it happens. It's like the just in case thing. I've never yeah. once opened any of them, but in case it ever happens, I know that I click on that link and I can find all of those details in one Dropbox folder. I actually love that as a last tip. What a great idea just to have it all somewhere sitting so you can access it easily. I love it. Okay. And also, and just related to that one, is someone needs to know where your final will is. Yes. Because that is the thing that I often find is that the last will that anybody knows of or can find is actually 20 years ago. So whenever you update your will, you send your three closest people. This is the name of my lawyer, my whoever, who's got the latest will. This is their phone number. And they file it in that file of in case stuff happens because you need, someone needs to actually find this physical will in order for that stuff to be executed. I love it. 
Oh my gosh, so great today. You guys got so much information. Uh, I wanna remind you, you can go to abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast and you will uh, will link to all this in the show notes. I will also link to how to get in touch with Lisa. Um, do you wanna just say it out loud, Lisa, for anyone listening who's not gonna to go to the show notes? How do, how do they find you? Workingwomenswealth.com. Beautiful. See how easy that was? And then, and again, men can go there too, but I will link to all of Lisa's amazing uh, information in the show notes so you can find her, get to her, listen to her, all that good stuff. And I loved having you today on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for sharing your wealth of, and I do mean the pun there, your wealth of information. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Abby. It was wonderful. All right. Take care, everybody. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.